Good evening, everybody. We are here today, back at our Q&A, 72nd Q&A. Hallelujah. And uh, before we begin, I just want to tell GDC Hyderabad, we are not still sure about tomorrow. We know the restrictions have been lifted, but about the gatherings, we are still waiting for information. So if it gets too late to know, we may continue here itself tomorrow, and probably by next Sunday, we, God willing, we shall be gathering in church. But watch your WhatsApp status, okay, in the church group. Just watch. In case it's okay, we will still try to gather tomorrow because we just want to be back in church again. <laughs> we want to meet everybody. This online thing isn't too exciting, you know. And in case we are not able to meet there, definitely we'll be meeting here. And whichever way, check your WhatsApp. Okay, all JDC Hyderabad, check the church group. So this evening, before we go into the Q&A, we've got too many questions, mm-hmm. loads and loads. So we'll be only able to finish a small portion. And good questions, theological questions. Okay, and interestingly, much of the questions have come from Australia. <laughs> okay, so we just thank God for the questions and we trust God for the answers. And Pastor Vijay, could you lead us in prayer? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the 72nd question and answer session that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, O Lord, this way that we could discuss personal questions that your children have and the questions that many of your children may have and may not express. We just want to thank you for this opportunity. As we have sung this evening, O Lord, the entrance of your word the unfolding of your word brings light. And therefore this evening, O Lord, I pray that you would bring light. The light of your word will shine into every situation that we are going through. That we'll be able to see our circumstances and the situations that we are going through and facing, O Lord, as a church and as individuals, as families, and as a society at large, O Lord, in the light of your word. And therefore I pray, Lord Jesus, all of us, O Lord, will be in tune with the spirit that will be able to not just understand the content of the answer, but the intention, the spirit and the letter of your word. To that and I pray that you would anoint our pastor and all of us who are listening to the session, O Lord, anoint us all and show us your ways, teach us your paths and lead us into the way of everlasting life. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory for in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 So pastor, we'll start with the last question first. Okay. This is question number 11. Can you just project it on screen, please? Uh-huh, this is the last 11. question. <clears throat> feelings of anxiety. Yeah. It says, um, feelings of anxiety may paralyze us from acting normal. Can you explain the paradox of anxiety and growth? As Christians, however, we can learn to cope with stress in a positive and a productive way without being overcome by anxiety. Your thoughts? Yes. Um, one thing is that in eternity there will be no anxiety if you are in the right place. But uh, if you look at Second uh, Corinthians five seven, Second Corinthians five seven. Peter, you need to be fast. Drag the mouse onto this side. It's 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 on the extended screen. It's on the extended screen. Drag it on this side. That's what it says. 
it shall be guided by the eye. Pastor Vijay can guide you from here. <laughs> For we walk by faith and not sight. Okay? Now this is the, what we call the instruction, the command, the demand of God. But it doesn't happen in one day. So there will be always this tension between sight and faith. Mm. As long as we are in this body, there is going to be a tension between sight and faith. And anxiety is caused by sight. Mm. Okay, Anxiety yes. is caused by sight. Because sight looks at the temporal, what we perceive with our senses, and yet faith is looking at the eternal. Okay. And there will be this constant tension. I mean, you look at uh, Paul's letter and he talks about that so very clearly. This constant, I mean, this is the, the great man. The apostle. Okay. Of the apostles. apostle okay. <laughs> uh, though we follow Jesus, yet we learn from the others because one day, hopefully, we'll be like Jesus. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter four mm-hmm. and verse uh, eight. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Okay. Now you see the difference. One is sight, the other is faith. Hmm. We are perplexed, but not in despair. One is sight, the other is uh, faith. Mm-hmm. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now the fact is that uh, it doesn't mean automatically you look at this and it happens. To everyone that way, a lot of people just crumble under pressure. Okay, that's why if you looked at morning, if you look at our previous meetings and all, that's why we need knowledge. Mm-hmm. As soon as, as soon as you're born again, one of the primary things where the church has failed is the church has failed the people to be, teach the people how to live as kingdom people. The church, like I said, is a classroom. It's a school. It's a classroom where the entire program of the church Primarily is to teach, okay, and we will see that is, and that teaching should affect every facet of our being. How do we live on earth in this life as citizens of heaven? And we have to be taught about everything. You name, you can't take one thing out of this life and say that I don't need to be taught about it. Hmm. That my mind literally needs to be transformed and not be conformed to the pattern of the world. First we came out of the world, but the world is still in us. We, the world is still in us. And then we enter into the kingdom of God. God births us in the spirit, but the mind is still the old. Mm. So now, one, what we learned has to be taken out. Mm. Okay, Only what is retained is what agrees with, not that everything we learned in the world. Okay, We ate from all of us, partook of the tree of good and evil, evil so there is good over there. Yes. So we don't have to throw the good out because that is that good is still uh, much of it agrees with the word of God because it is a tree planted by God. Mm-hmm. Okay, planted by God. So, but the other parts we need to take it out. Okay, so that and then we were not born again and taken to heaven. We are still left on earth. So the world is still pushing on us. The pressure of the world is unbelievable. Constantly, twenty-four-seven, our sight is being bombarded to conform to the ways of the world. And the Christian has to come to church. He has to be taught. And if you look at the first church, you will see they first came out of the world Mm. and then they were taught seven days a week. And what were they taught? How to live as a community of believers Mm. in the midst of a 
uh, hostile perverse generation how to live so we all need to need to learn and the problem is the anxiety is always there and we can overcome it we can, i'm not saying that it should be always there, but you are like you here today and monday everything opens and people are back in the world the world doesn't understand what we believe in and they don't care two hoots about what we believe in Yet you are there. So there is constant tension. That is what he's talking about, no? Paul is a servant of God sent into a hostile world, both Jewish and Gentile. Both are hostile to the message. Don't think Jews, Jews are very happy with the message of Christ. They are not. They reject Christ as much as the Gentile does. So you are in a very hostile space. Mm. Hostile space. And that's what he's talking about. Hard pressed on every side. Yet not crushed. The message cannot be crushed. The Christ in you cannot be crushed. So the whole idea is how do you overcome is allow Christ to this. What I was trying to put across even this morning. It is Christ. God is will not accept anything else other than Christ. God when he looks at us is not looking at us. He's only looking at Christ. The Christ in us. Like in the desert in Egypt. Um, when they came out of Egypt. He saw no iniquity in Jacob. Jacob. Why? Yes. Because he's seeing them in Christ. Mm-hmm. But does it mean he was pleased with most of them? No, he no. was not pleased with most of them. He was not pleased. In the same way when he, God looks at us, is he pleased with most of us? He's not pleased with us. Yet when it comes to the overall picture of salvation, mm. the fact that we left Egypt still stands. Mm. You need to realize that out of the 600,000 men, women and children, 2 million plus people, not a single one went back to Egypt. Not a single one. In spite of all, they, they were not allowed to go back to Egypt. They did not go back to it. Many died in the desert. All of them died in the desert. And some died of rebellion. Okay, so I don't know where they ended up. But no one went back to Egypt. No one went back to Egypt. So that fact has to be so. Those who came out because they believed in the blood of the Lamb, God sees them in Christ Jesus. He's not pleased with the, with all of them. But he doesn't tell the enemy, you got no business with them. They are my children now. You got no business with them. You know, so this tension is always there. And we overcome it. You see the tension with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. Yes. You don't see him being tense anywhere else. <clears throat> when did the tension come actually? The tension came where there's a conflict between the wills. Okay, the wills. Now he's approaching his death. And the will of the Father says you need to die. And his will is fighting it. Fighting it. That's when the tension comes. And he literally is sweating blood over there. So how do we... It is by these two ways. One, we grow in the knowledge of God. We need knowledge. Without knowledge, faith, we are not going to increase in faith. Okay. And uh, along with the knowledge, I would say, as important, if not more, is that each one of us needs to know what our purpose is. Mm. If you don't know our purpose, vision. you mm. can, uh, you can, God's vision for us, God's mm. purpose mm. for us, you can actually live without much anxiety. Be a good Christian. Cut corners wherever you want with the world and be like you know, comfortable. I'm okay. Because you have not understood your purpose. When purpose, you understand your purpose, that is when anxiety comes, tension comes. Even if you're in the secular space, you know what? When you are in the secular place, I am called that as a child of God. That even the way I work, the way I react in everything has to bring God glory. Let's just look at uh, Daniel's other friends, not the three friends, the other guys who came from Judah. Did they face any anxiety in Babylon? No. 
They didn't face any exile in Babylon because they just submerged into the culture. Four young men decide we are not going to eat. So they have to go to the eunuch. The eunuch says, I will test you for 10 days. And every one of these 10 days is a te- anxiety. Yeah. Because you are not deciding I am okay. Somebody else has <laughs> to decide you are okay. <laughs> okay. So the anxiety is always there until that test is over. <laughs> okay. So you are not, you, you're not again, again, when it comes to the dream, the king is mad, he says, kill everybody. And then they says, we, we, they don't, they don't know the answer. They say, but our God answers. Let us fast and pray. Give us time. So you will always see anxiety level. Say, and again, when the king says, bow or burn, okay, they make a decision. And don't tell me in the flesh they are not anxious. I mean, nobody is going to be excited to be thrown into fire. One drop of wax falls on us, we jump. Okay. Okay. So that is their natural. So anxiety levels is only for people who take a stand. The other anxiety is a normal anxiety which all flesh has. Where will my provision come? What will I eat? Everybody has that in the world has that anxiety at different levels. We are not talking about that anxiety. We are talking about an anxiety that comes because you know your purpose, that I am called to be a witness. I mean, Paul talking about it. If Paul had remained as a Jew, a Pharisee, would he go through any of this? No. Things? He wouldn't no. go anything. <laughs> he would be probably having a good life, part of the Sanhedrin, maybe, who knows where he would have reached in his career. What did he go through? It's because. So the answer is, you grow in the knowledge of God, you grow in faith, you grow in grace, the power of God. That's why Jesus said one thing to them, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power. Okay. And when that anxiety tension level increased, you see they go back again and cry out. And he filled them again with the Holy Spirit, meaning the more the tension increases, more power I need. Don't try to do it on your own. It simply will not work. Then we will boast, I overcame. God says, you didn't, you mm. can never overcome. My son overcomes. Amen. Okay, And mm. he's there's a constant supply which God gives. So we have to keep going back to God. Humble ourselves and go back to God. Like Jesus did, every morning he wakes up, goes, cries out to the Father, basically saying, reveal your will and fill me all over again. And the Bible says he was filled without measure. measure. What, did it happen on the first day? No, I believe he's getting filled and filled because the pressure is increasing on him. The beginning, people do not know him. Then he's rejected his town. They want to kill him and increasing. Now all of them are against him. The disciples are leaving. So pressure is increasing. It's increasing on him. So he needs to be filled more and more and more. Okay. Some people don't need to be filled at all because they don't face any pressure because they're not moving ahead with God. Okay. We need to understand. Don't stay that way because pressure is important. Pressure is important because that is also a sign you're on the right track. Amen. Okay, and then we go and don't try to do it on your own strength. The answer is go back to God. Yes, Pastor Vijay, that was from the Middle East. Yeah. Another question. Uh, this is question number 10. Okay, that's connected with uh, this morning. It's interesting. They were listening in Australia. Yeah. Pastor James said the lake of fire is not yet open. Mm-hmm. Now hell is okay. Nobody's thrown in the lake of fire. Hell is not okay. <laughs> but so, it is compared to lake of fire. Lake of fire. <laughs> Remember the man was the the rich man over saying we are in torment, I want a drop of water. Okay, so hell is not okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's a temporary holding cell yet. So the dead will just wait, right? Judgment has not yet begun. Do we not know when we die we are in the presence of the Lord? So we all wait for the great entrance into the eternity once the Lord appears. 
I'm confused as a Catholic trying to get a clear picture of all this. Okay. Uh, one of the things is that the secret things belong to God. Mm. All we can talk about this is what is revealed by God. Okay. When you look at the old covenant, that is where Jesus is still standing in the old covenant. He's the new covenant. He's the harbinger. It hasn't yet been come into effect because a covenant is basically a will, and a, a testament, and under the will cannot come into effect. You can write the will, but it has no meaning until the writer of the will dies. Mm-hmm. So as long as Jesus is walking and living, the new covenant is not coming into. So when he uses this story, a real story, I believe a real incident about the rich man and Lazarus, uh, you will see uh, the, the rich man goes to hell, and Lazarus goes to what we would call Abraham's bosom or paradise. Mm. Okay, why? Because the devil has the power over death. God has given it to him. So when Jesus overcomes, you will see he overcomes death to death. That's how the song we sing that's found in Hebrews 2, 14, 15. So now death has been taken over. The power of death has been taken over. In um, Revelation 1, Jesus says, the keys of Hades... And death is in his hands. So we believe Jesus unlocked. The righteous dead in the old covenant were in a place where it used the symbolic name Abraham's bosom. They are not tormented. They are in a good place. But they, I believe they have not ascended to heaven yet. I am not talking they got their bodies. I am talking about their spirits, their souls. Okay. Ephesians 4 talks about probably. These are all like theological presumptions because no man can be very sure about this. Okay? If you, chapter 4 and verse 8 to 10. Okay? Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What does it mean? What is captivity? Meaning all the souls who were in, in paradise but could not ascend because the devil still had the power of death and death had not been overcome. So they were still captives in a way. Satan couldn't touch them, but he couldn't, uh, he could hold them. So what happens? He took captivity captive hmm. and he ascended. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? So the presumption is, and I believe it's still hell is deep down the earth. Deep down the earth, hell is there. And so I believe was paradise. And men died, so that's why he, he buried the body down. And I believe that's where it went. But the two different places. And there was a gulf between the two. Where the rich man can see Lazarus, Abraham can see the rich man. Your identities are known over there at this time. But right now, I believe paradise has been emptied. Hmm. Has been emptied. Jesus took all the souls. And we see in the book of Revelation... John the Apostle does not see the righteous there. He sees them in the altar there. there. He's not seeing them in hell. He's seeing them there with God over there. Like the souls of the righteous, seeing how long. Basically, what are they talking about? They say, we want our bodies. We want our resurrection bodies. We are waiting for our resurrection bodies. Until we get our resurrection, I mean, people get their resurrection bodies, they cannot uh, start the life of the new creation. Okay. New creation hasn't started yet. That is in Revelation 21. Hasn't started. So everything is in a standstill. Okay. Now if you go to judgment, you will see 
Okay, if you go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Uh, before we, uh, before we go on Revelation 20, we have to see, we'll read from verse 7. First, let me explain to new believers, a lot of new believers listening. Uh, when Jesus comes back, when he comes, his second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes back, he will take over earth. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in an instant, whenever that rapture takes place also, instant, the believers will get their resurrection bodies. Everybody gets their resurrection bodies. I don't know who all in that everybody is, but they get your resurrection bodies. So when Jesus comes back, he's coming with the saints with the resurrection bodies. Antichrist reign is over. He has been overthrown. Most of the people are dead, but a lot of people are still there alive. Flesh and blood people are there and the saints come. And the time of restoration begins. The mess that has happened with the destruction, the war, the the mayhem, Jesus will start restoring the world. That is what Isaiah talks about, rivers flowing in the desert and blooming and the earth will be like, it will be like the way it should be. Okay? It will be like. And people, even the people who are there, who are not, they are not saved. That's why he rules with a scepter of iron. Though the scepter of his scepter is righteousness, king should be holding gold, but because these are unsaved, rebellious people, Christ is ruling through the saints. I believe his throne will be in Jerusalem, and the saints will be in charge of every village, town, hamlet, the whole world. The saints will be ruling these people. Okay, And God's law will be followed, meaning sin will not be allowed to be manifested. You cannot deal with sin with inside, they will see it, but it will not be allowed to be practiced. Okay, so we talk about law and order, that will be the time of law and order. And the righteous will enjoy it, because they have no, the law is for the lawless. The Bible is very clear, hmm. Titus, Paul letter says, yes. the law is for the lawless. And that will happen for a thousand years. And during that time, people will get married. The flesh and blood people will get married. Population will increase. And even the oldest will live over 100 years. The Bible says so. Nobody will die young because yes. there's no sickness. They will all die because they are part of the old creation. So hmm. everybody has to die. But they won't die young. They won't die young. They will all die old. Okay, for a thousand years that rain will go on. Thousand years this rain will go on. While this rain is going, thousand years this rain is going on, the the dead are waiting. Those who died, not the resurrected, those who got the resurrection body, the others are still waiting. Because they are not going to be resurrected until a thousand years is over. All those who are in hell and all, they are all still waiting. They haven't got, they have not been resurrected yet. But the simple question asked is this, okay, before we read, uh, how long, how can we wait like that? I will tell you, this is Peter, okay, these are all revelations from our apostle Peter. Second Peter, okay, chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord... For with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Okay. So we are on earth. Let us say we are on earth. Okay. The, oh, um, let's hope we are among the overcomers on earth and we are ruling. The people are flesh and blood live hundred years or so ten generations. Okay. A thousand years. But for people who are in eternity, thousand years is just like a day. How long do I have to wait? Just wait a day. If I were to told, wait a day, it won't mean too much to you. 
On earth, time is passing as a thousand years. In eternity, it's just like a day. Hmm. Okay? You need to understand. Six thousand years have passed away. But for God, it's just like six days. No big deal, six days. You know? Okay. So understand what the Bible is talking about. Because we are caught in the physical, we'll say, oh my God, we have to wait a thousand years. God says, just like a day. It's not a big deal. <laughs> even that one day, it won't even seem like a day. I don't think even it is a day. Just for us to understand, it says that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. It is not even a day. Because eternity cannot be measured in times of time. Eternity, there is no time. So these people who are waiting for a thousand years, it does not make a difference to them. Mm. They are not sitting with the clock. The sun is not rising for them. The sun is not setting for them. There is no day. There is no night. It's just a continuum. It's just a continuum. But when we come back to that, what happens? The judgment, what happens? By the way, that thousand years, we know Satan is bound. We give, people give Satan such a big power. One angel, God says that fellow is bound by that angel and thrown into the abyss and locked for a thousand years. And after a thousand years, God unlocks him. Why does he do all that? To show to us that his ways were right. He was absolutely righteous to wait to judge sin the way it is. Because after having lived under this glorious reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years, what does people do? Mankind do, those who survived. And at the last age, words 7 onwards. Let us look at word 7. Revelation 27. Yeah, word 7 onwards. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Yeah, keep reading. That's fine. will be received from the prison. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Can you imagine? So this is what we're talking about. You can live literally under the rule of Jesus Christ, enjoy everything, and then go against him. The devil will come and destroy. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Okay, They surround Jerusalem. And that's where the saints are camped. I don't understand. We don't understand all those things. Okay. Meaning maybe because the overcomers who come with Christ Jesus are not in their physical bodies. They are in their eternal bodies. I believe they can be in Hyderabad and Jerusalem at the same time. Are you getting the picture? (laughs) Let us say Raj is put in charge of Hyderabad by Jesus. But he is camped at Jerusalem. Look at that. Surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Okay. Because uh, Christ could do it. Yes. Christ could do it. And it, I mean, we talk about the speed of light. The speed of light is nothing compared to the speed of the transformed body. It doesn't even take that much time to come from heaven to earth or move from Jerusalem to Hyderabad. There's nothing that can match that. Okay. Nothing that can match that. And when they come, what the scripture says, now there is no fighting or nothing like in the earlier battle. <laughs> Fire came down from the God of heaven and devoured them. Okay? And now judgment begins. Hmm. First who is judged is the devil. If you look at verse 10. We'll go from verse 10 onwards. Okay? Continue. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. 
and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are already there mm-hmm. they are already thrown over there mm-hmm. and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever now judgment begins verse 11 then i saw the great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them okay i saw the dead small and great standing before god and books were opened and another book was opened now what is happening is all the dead who are thousand years who are still dead okay how these things happen we do not know okay but suddenly they will all come back and stand before god Another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works and by the things which are written in the books The sea gave up the dead who were in it death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them so you will see there are different holding areas okay different holding areas one is the sea the sea holds a lot of people have died in the sea okay and their mortal remains in whatever way it has disintegrated it's being held over there and then there is death death is a spirit and death is a place mm. it is this a spiritual end so is the grave hades or hell or whatever you want to translate so is hades they all delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works mm. okay then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire Remember, there is no sea. There is no sea. I have a feeling when that fire comes down and devours all those people, the sea melts away. It vaporizes. Like wow. the sea is gone, and death and hates also is thrown into the lake of fire because, like I said, they are places and they are spirits too. Okay, the spirit of death. So they are also thrown. This is the second death. This is the second death. and verse 15 says anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire this is the only place where i personally i may be wrong i choose to disagree with all the greats for all the greats say that the saved will be judged and get their rewards when the rapture takes place and this is the judgment only for the unsaved but my question is if this is the judgment for the unsaved why do you have to look into the book of life their names are in there at all hmm okay books are opened and the book of life is also opened for me it is this this is how i, I could be absolutely wrong i could be right too i do not know it's a press it doesn't matter whether you are right or wrong because this is not going to affect your life here unless it motivates you i believe in that judgment those who come back and stand before god after a thousand years who are not part of the overcomers who are not part of those who get their rewards are those who made it to heaven through the fire mm. and all their works, works were burned, burned up mm. they had nothing mm. for god to give them so they just waited a thousand years to get their bodies yes thousand years those who came through the fires but their works followed them who were overcomers were rewarded if you have no works to be rewarded <laughs> then what's the point in what are you going to do for the thousand years fiddle your tongues and sit around while the saints are ruling you have nothing to do so i believe in the second group who are resurrected are all the unsaved who denied christ from the beginning from cain onwards okay plus those who came through the fire hmm. okay i will show you that portion for brethren 
who are new brethren. We have a lot of uh, Catholic brethren listening today. And I love you. I was once upon a time a Catholic. So I know what it is to feel, you know, lost and to be found. First hmm. uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 11 onwards. 11 to 15. Okay. Oh, sorry, 3, 3. It's not 2, 3. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The foundation of your salvation is Jesus Christ. Mm. You believe in Jesus and you believe in his work, his death and resurrection alone. You repent from your sins, put your faith in him, you are saved. That's how you begin. Okay. After that, you start building your life. Mm. That is where faith comes. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall walk by faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. So you heard, you obey, but also you appropriate through faith grace. So what you do is the word of God, the will of God, through the power of God. So it is not your life, it is Christ's life. So everyone is building after they are saved. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, just for our understanding, materials are given. Not that we build with these things. The quality of our life. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. The day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. <laughs> if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, what will happen? He will receive a reward. So the entire book of Revelation talks about rewards. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. I believe in this verse 15 is connected to those people in Revelation 20. They come through the fire. The second death is the fire. They just escaped the lake of fire by the skin of their teeth. All they had What's their salvation? And nothing else. I'll give you an example. Simple example. Think about the the thief who died and believed Jesus before he died. What reward is he going to get? Nothing. Like that, so many people will die in their deathbed crying out for mercy. And God takes them home. Takes them home. <laughs> takes them home. And a lot of people who lived and got saved before that, but still left, lived their own self-willed life. But because they believed and they stayed in their faith till they died, yet they have nothing. So this is the only place because uh, most preachers are very dogmatic by saying in the second resurrection, believers are not included. This is the judgment seat of God and not the bema seat of Christ. But I choose to differ because of one thing, that the book of life is open. And anyone whose name is not there in the book of life, they are thrown into the lake of fire. That would automatically presume, right? Presume, presumption is there. If you look at the language, in any any language you want to look at, it means there are whose names are there in the book of life. Okay, so works are decided. Okay, works, works, okay, all bad works. Only bad works. And then, okay, let us say, for example, okay, sorry, Peter. Peter, only bad works. Okay. Then, yes, is his name in the book of life? No, his name is not in the book of life. Okay, so now judgment has to be given. Now, it's a simple example, but I believe it is true. Okay, it's a lake of fire, so... 
cut, looks at your bad works and says, okay, it's not so bad. Let him go to 200 degrees centigrade. Then he picks Sammy. Sammy is terrible works. <laughs> is the name in the book of life? No. Okay. Sammy, 600 degrees centigrade. Oh. It will make a difference. In eternity, it will make a difference. <laughs> okay. you, you think it doesn't matter. It will matter. It will make a difference. Okay. And then he picks Raj. Then he looks at Raj and says, oh, no good works, only bad works. His name in the book of life? Angel says his name is in the book of life. Okay. You go to this side. He just escaped the life. <laughs> when he's, his books are open, he's, he's palpitating over there. <laughs> he already heard Sami is God. It was Peter is God. He is palpitating over there. And then he says, okay, his name is here. Okay. You go to this side. He believed in Christ for his salvation alone. No other foundation can any other man build. Hmm. You will not come by your works. Nothing at all. Okay. And then look at the fourth case scenario. Let us pick Pastor Vijay. Pastor Vijay is not that day. Let us say before that. Okay. Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, he's saved. Because he's raptured. And then looks at his works. He looks at his works and he says, Good. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. You take, okay, 10 districts of of Telangana. Take charge of 10 cities. Okay? So there are various case scenarios of how the judgment is going to be, even for believers. Some will come just through the fires and all the works are burned up because those are works of flesh and they get no rewards. They get no rewards. They never grew also as a person in Christ. They remain as a child in Christ. Spiritually, they never grew. In the world, they were like heroes. But spiritually, they never grew, so they never could inherit what God had kept for them. So this is the scenario we have to look. So don't get satisfied with your salvation. After that, we are on a race. And the Bible talks about it. We are on a... Paul says, I finished my race. And I know my reward. He says, I will get the pinnacle. He doesn't talk about it. He says, I get not a medal of righteousness or a trophy of righteousness. He said, I will get the crown of righteousness. He's absolutely sure. God has revealed it to me. I'll get the crown of righteousness. He's one of the big guns in heaven. Like a big, big guns in heaven. <laughs> he gets a crown of right. Some people will get medals. Some will get a trophy. He gets a crown. But God has got it for every anyone. He's not a partial. All are his children. And for all those who love his appearing, he says. All who love his appearing. Paul says, it's just not me. Everybody, mm-hmm. run your race. So, uh, Hebrews 12, 2 also will say, uh, one will also say, run your race. Okay. Paul will say in Second uh, Timothy 4, 7, he will say, run your race. No. Okay. Yeah. It's... Uh, Second Timothy four seven. Yeah, twelve one actually. Twelve one and two. Yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, twelve one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which slowly ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has set us in a race, and Christians are not aware we are running a race. Why do you run a race? To win a prize. Yes. <laughs> what is the purpose of running a race? What to get exercise? No, mm-hmm. to win a prize. And God says, "I have set you in a race, and finish well if you overcome." And God is, I mean, if you look at what He tells the Laodicean church, I mean, we wouldn't tell that to the Laodicean church. God says, "You know what? You are so terrible. I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to throw you out." But I'm still telling you, if you repent and you overcome, 
you shall sit on my throne. Mm. As I overcame and sat on my father's throne. And when Pastor Vijay was, uh, Rama was to, Pastor Vijay was preaching to the youth, I preached that long ago and I preached in Sikkim also for the pastors. The new pastors were being ordained when Paul tells Timothy, yeah. how you, how you need to run your race. You have to run according to the rules. Mm. Rules are fundamental. It doesn't matter how fast you are in a track race. If you miss your track, you lose your traffic. Mm. You may finish first, but you still lose because you're disqualified because you did not run according to the rules. Mm. So one of the teachings in the church is know the rules of the game. Don't elbow your neighbor. Walk in mercy. Walk in kindness. Walk in gentleness. Walk in faith. You have to know. You have to know the rules of the game. Okay, you have to know. You have to play by the rules. Okay, so that's one of the fundamental the reasons why you are teaching is, and people who are interested in running the race are very interested in the rules. Mm. They are gung-ho about Bible studies because they know, I need to know the rules. I shouldn't reach there thinking I'll get a trophy and God says, no, you are disqualified. Why did you get disqualified? Because you never attended the Bible studies and learned the rules. You ran, but you didn't run according to the rules. Okay, then endure hardship as discipline. Don't get involved in civilian affairs. affairs. Be patient like the farmer. So all kind of illustrations are given over there. And you know, don't run without aim, Paul will say in mm. Corinthians 9. I don't run like somebody beating in the air, yeah. but with purpose. So all these things are there because it's all connected with eternity. So even those who are, and okay, let us say, a brother got saved, let us say, this week, maybe. Let us say a brother saved in Australia who's listening. And he got, got saved at 70. Lord, I'm only, I'm already 70. My race is beginning now. God says, it does not matter. Your race only begins now. Hmm. This is where we need to understand how God works it out. If you got at 70, you still can finish as an overcomer and get your crown. Because God is the only one who is not bothered by time. Through the book of Joel, God says, I will give you back all the years that the locusts have eaten. Meaning, you wasted 70 years of your life because you did not know God. But God does not see it as a waste. It's a season of ignorance, he says in the book of Acts. I will ignore it. Instead, now you run with passion. Let us say you live till 75. I can take these five years and compress so much into these five years mm. that you can finish well. Amen. You can finish. And the simple example is this. If you look at it, how late did Paul start compared to the other apostles? Didn't he overtake all of them? Yeah. He did. He overtook all of them. Okay. He took, overtook all of them. And if you look at uh, Abraham, man, this man entered the promised land only at the age of 75. Moses obeyed the call of God only at 80. 80. Okay, so it is, it is, it is not primarily when you enter. It's primarily how you enter, with what passion and zeal with which you enter that. And the church, again, I, I always blame the church, us, us. We have to identify ourselves with the, the priesthood, with the pastors, the teaching people, because out of the mouth of the priest should come knowledge. Hmm. 
And people perish because of lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Though everybody has their own Bibles and all, don't expect everyone to understand and learn on their own. That is why pastors and teachers are kept. And pastors and teachers and priests or who or whatever you want to call yourself within the kingdom of God, if you had taught the people and motivated the people, this is your purpose after salvation, it would have been a different picture altogether. Absolutely different picture. Run your race. There's something kept for you over there. Don't quit. Don't even buckle under death. Death also has been out to the church at uh, Smyrna. He says, you'll be in prison for 10 days. days. Now, we don't know what 10 days means in God's calendar. (laughs) It may be 100 years. (laughs) And be faithful unto death. You're not going to come out. You're not going to come out. Philippi will come out. Uh, Sorry, the Philadelphia church is going to come out. I'll give you a door open for you. You'll come out. But Smyrna, you're not going to come out. You will die there. But I want you to be faithful unto death. But both the church in Philadelphia or the church in Smyrna, the only two church he has commendation for, the other church he has commendation, indictment. Okay, but these two church he has good words to say. To one they will die, the other he will bring out. But what is expected of all the churches? You have to overcome. You all have to be willing to die. Mm, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes. All mm. of you have to be willing to die. Whether you mm. die or not, it's my prerogative. Leave that to me. Hmm. Leave that to me. Whether you will die or not, I will choose. But how do you come? Revelation 12.11. Again, Revelation 12.11. This is the the standard bearers. Okay, The motto of the overcomers. They overcame him. That is the devil. By the blood of the lamb. That is only by the work of Christ. By the word of the testimony. And what is this? They did not love their lives to the death. So those who overcome the devil are two categories. Those who died for their faith and those who did not die because of their faith. They are both Smyrna and Philadelphia. They are all overcomers. But attitude of both is the same. They did not love their lives unto death. That is fundamental. When you start this race, you have to say that, you know what, I will not quit. And two, if I have to die, I will die but I will not live denying Christ. Mm. I would rather die for Christ than accept an easy deliverance. That is Hebrews 11.35. Women got there, others refused. Hebrews 11.35. These are fundamental things we need to understand because these are principles on which you ground your faith. Women received the dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Meaning, they were offered deliverance. Hmm. They were offered deliverance. Okay? Offer deliverance. Accept deliverance. Offer deliverance. Okay. And the question is, what are you going to do? Reject Christ? Accept our offer? You can look. And millions of believers have gone through for the past 2000 years. Still going through today. Join the Communist Party of China. You can go free. We'll promote you. We will do. But people refuse. Some buckle. People refuse. Okay, look at a uh, simple thing. Let's look at, let's put it Old Testament and New Testament. Moses' parents, Joshebed and Amram and Joshebed, when they saw Moses was a beautiful child, that's what the Bible says. But we need to understand, if, I'm, I just want to show you, okay, I'm just going out of, maybe I'm too excited. Hmm. <laughs> let's go to Exodus. Okay, two people. Chapter 2 of Exodus. Verse 2. 1 and 2. 
A man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Hmm. Okay. And we'll say, oh, it's a beautiful child. Okay. Pharaoh's daughter also looked at him and said, he's a beautiful child. So God uses outward beauty. Okay. But if I'm right, go to uh, Acts 7.15. So different picture altogether over there. God, I, I yes. It's a different picture. The revelation of it is a new covenant. Old covenant saints, even Moses did not have these revelations which is only given to new covenant saints. Uh, seven. Seven. No, no, not seven fifteen. Okay, one second. Okay. Twenty twenty. Seven twenty. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. Yeah. What does it mean? Meaning he was pleasing in the eyes of God. He was beautiful in the eyes of God. So what did the parents do? Amram and Joseph had do. You know what? The king's edict was every male born, male child has to be thrown into Nile. River Nile. Mm. You know what happens? They hide him. They hide him. Fast forward 2,000 years until recently. Every second child conceived in China has to be aborted by law. You can only have one child per family. First you have to wait till 30 years to get married. And everybody is talking about China, 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 great China. First you can only get married at the age of 30. Second you can only have a child. If you conceive the second child it has to be aborted. What about Christian parents who hide their children? Millions of them have hid their children. Chinese. Hiding their children. They gave birth and hid their children. So you have modern day Amrams and Joshuvets. There's an edit from the government. And now they are realizing they goofed up so much that their population is going down in under 20, 20 years. They will not have enough of young people. So now they are giving incentive to have a second child and a third child. China and Japan are pole opposite. When Japan is a free country, China is a coercive uh, tyranny. There you cannot have child, children in China. Japanese don't want to have children. Height of capitalism, height of communism. Here you can't have children. Government decides how many you can have. Other side, nobody wants to get married. Nobody wants to have children. So Japanese are also worrying. Their elderly population is increasing, 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 increasing over there. There's no young people. So they are also worried. So you need to understand, in the middle of it, you have capitalism, you have communism, then you have faith. (laughs) You have faith. Hmm. And people of faith are not worried. I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan and all, but they're not worried. If your wife gets pregnant, it is not an accident. Oh Lord, Lord. no, it is okay. It is fine. (laughs) It is fine. It is well with my soul. God will give us enough to take care. Oh, should I or should I? No, don't worry about that. You can plan it all out. It's all fine. It's all okay. There's no issues. God doesn't have issues. But never ever think a Believer's wife getting pregnant is an accident. Because there are no accidents in God's children's life. There are only incidents. This is how faith comes in. You have to. It's all connected. So if you you go, no, I I have my kids in some parts of India. You know what? Because they learned it in the Bible study, you know. And when they conceived, and you know, you do the test, and the, the gynec will say that about the baby is going to be born with deformities. Deformities. 
and the pressure builds on. You know what those girls did? They changed the guy now. They said, we will not. We've been taught very, very clearly. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The child belongs to God. So even if it is born deformed, it is fine. And you know what? I can show you pictures of those babies. They are cleft foot and club foot and uh, mm-hmm. hands and holes like this. But smart kids. Oh. And with that, we'll play the piano. Play the piano. They refuse to abort. Down syndrome, they refuse to abort. No, we will not. We will not. It's a gift from God. We will not do that. We will not do that. That's why we need solid convictions. Absolute solid conviction. That is why we need the knowledge of God. I'm not saying it is an easy life. It's an easy life. Even big names, let me tell you, when Sarah Palin became pregnant, she was the VP candidate with John McCain. They didn't win. But uh, she's a, she was a believer. She's a believer. I guess she's a believer. So when she was diagnosed with a final child, the last child was with Down syndrome, she was told to abort. She said, I thought about it. And she said, but that was not a choice for me. Not a choice for me. I believe my child has a purpose. And she's got a Down syndrome kid growing up. She was the governor of Alaska. Governor of Alaska. You know, even big people, it doesn't matter. They have made choices. And they made choices according to faith, saying that I will not. They mocked her, they scorned her because she speaks in tongues and all that. They scorned her, CNN and all of them. But the fact is that many, many countries now in the West, mandatory abortion if the child is found to be uh, Down syndrome, including uh, Europe. Many countries, they want to allow the child to survive. They'll abort the baby, but they don't want the child to be a burden on the state. So-called Christian nations. What I'm trying to get to you... Eternity will decide your works. Your works will be judged. Hmm. If a believing mother aborts the baby, uh, will she lose her salvation? No. Will she lose her rewards? Definitely yes. Because she did not live by your conviction. I'm not saying she loses all her rewards. (laughs) But she will lose her rewards. Because you did not live by your conviction. You, in that decision, that one decision, you denied God is God. You denied the sovereignty of God in your life. You God condemning you and sending you to hell? No. You won't do that. Then salvation is based on your works. Mm. So we need to understand how these things play out. So every decision we make may have a temporary relief, but it would also cause eternal loss. Mm. Okay, abortion is a temporary relief. After some time, you okay, fine. Okay, you justify yourself. Maybe that child, we would have struggled. Look how much this thing and all. You justify all that. But in the long run, you don't realize eternal. It will not work out for you. It will not work out for you. So God has issues with that. God has issues with that. So we learn, we study, understand the heart, the mind, the will, and the power of God. This is what Jesus said. Two things he said. He says, you do not understand scripture. And two, you do not, not know the power, power of God. God. And therefore you err. Therefore you go wrong. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand. It. That's what I said. It's not enough to have the knowledge mm-hmm. of God. We need to have faith. Knowledge has to move into faith because faith plugs in the, into the power, power of God. Mm-hmm. We need to know our scripture. Who is this person, God? Two, what is his power? Mm-hmm. A God who sustains the whole universe without even blinking cannot take care of an extra child hmm. in his child's life. Think about it. I'm talking about how people make 
decisions. No? And these things matter. I don't know how it came into the narrative of this question, but people are talking about hell and judgment and all, you know, that's why. <laughs> we have to be, and people have to be taught about these things. People have to be taught about these things. Because there's so much heresy within the church, so much heresy being taught in the church, which, sancti- which sanctions all kinds of decisions and all kinds of lifestyle. And some of those lifestyles will take you to hell. Will take you to hell. Some of those decisions will cause you to lose your rewards eternally. Won't take you to hell. Will cause you to lose your rewards eternally. So we have to be very, very careful about these things. That's why teaching is important. And it is so difficult at teaching. God says you don't understand the power of God. I'm not asking you to keep it on your own. He's saying you rely on me. I will keep it in you. And that's the Old Testament stories are all that. Daniel's three friends made a decision. God can save us if he wants to, but we have made our decision. What is that? We will not bow. They are thrown into the fire. And God stands with them and shows them that I can honor your decision. Telling us that. You honor me, I will honor you. My power, my grace is there with you. You know, there with you. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, today's, uh, there's one more question uh, related to today's morning sermon. Okay. Uh, teaching. Because it's fresh of the, uh, I am from the oven. So this is question number nine. Nine. When Indian parents keep saying, you have to honor, mm. you have to marry who I choose, mm. you have to go by what I say, mm. I don't live with my parents, I ran away from home, came to Yeah, the yeah, home. don't read uh, that part. Okay. My parents are believers. After hearing today's message, I know they have no clue about God. They are from a CNI church. I'm 25 years old. I could not take their nagging and their arguing about getting me married. What is the biblical view on this? I'm so confused about the constant bragging about how much they know God and their marriage itself is not that great. To me, it is hypocrisy. How would you explain this to me? Honor your father and your mother. So when you are old, they can marry off to to whoever they think is right. Indians and every man in the world is not the perfect man, as you said today in your message. Oh, you are the man I married, but when you're dating, you want to know this guy. <laughs> this is a young girl venting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a very strong feeling she's from Kerala. No, CNI, North India. Okay, not CSI. Okay, you are not from Kerala. It sounded so much like a Malu. Okay. Now, there are two aspects of it. Okay. One is the question of honoring. The other is the question of obeying. They are not both the same. Hmm. Yes. Not the same. Okay? When we are children, we are asked to obey okay. our children. When we grow up, we are asked to honor our parents, but obey God. Okay? Now, this is a scenario that uh, I always face with young people. It's not a very good illustration, but I will always ask them this question. Where do you live? I live with my parents. Who puts bread on your table? Uh, My parents do. I'll tell them then. Listen to them. Listen to them. Simple logic. Where do you work? Amazon. Who pays your salary? Amazon. Listen to their rules. Hmm. You don't like their rules? Leave Amazon. Hmm. 
intelligence. So the first thing is when children start growing up, okay, when children start growing up, at some point they have to leave their home. Mm. Don't be too late about it. You have to learn, learn to leave your home and start living on your own, start earning on your own. And God's, God's, uh, example is there in the book of Deuteronomy. He stirs up the nest. Yeah. Literally kicks the eaglets out. Mm. So they learn to fly on their own. Mm. No, Indian parents never want to let go of their children. <laughs> okay. But it is God's command. Children need to move out. They need to honor their parents. They need to take care of their parents when they are old. All that you have to do. But you have to come out. Otherwise, how will you look? How will you learn what life is? How will you learn? Don't look at Abraham, Isaac and all. Okay, Abraham, this thing and all. It's a different story altogether. They are strangers living, aliens over there. Isaac is a different picture altogether. Okay, don't look at that as a pattern. Then again, coming to marriage. When you're coming to marriage, be very, very wise about this. Okay, listen to your parents. I'm not saying obey your parents. Hmm. Listen to your parents. Why? Because parents have what you do not have. Even if they are not fully saved parents, they have what is called experience. They have experience. But ultimately, obey God. So when the parent brings a choice, okay, parent brings a choice, it doesn't necessarily mean the choice is wrong. So you look at the checklist. First check your own heart. You are a girl or you are a man. Is your criteria first right in the sight of God? Hmm. That's what I want to tell young people. Okay? It's right in the God. First thing when it comes to marriage is this. God says, thou shall not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That's the first thing. It's not the second thing. Second, third, fourth and all are important, but it is not as important as the first thing. The first thing is that my father and mother brought a proposal or I met a boy or a girl. The first thing to look is, does he truly, truly, he or she love the Lord? Mm. Love the Lord. Mm. Okay? Love the Lord. Okay? If you are a girl, second thing, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of the woman. Second thing, you look at him and say, can he lead me? Or will I have to push him? These are important decisions people have to make. Can he lead me? Is he spiritually matured to lead? Don't read that. If you go to Corinthians, you know, Pastor Vijay will give you, thou shall, do not be unequally. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse yeah. 13. Okay, verse 13. <laughs> okay. References there. there. Okay. 12, 13. 12, 12, 12, 12, 11, 13. 8, you can see that. Uh, yeah, yeah. 6, 6, okay. 6, 9. 13, 13. 6, 2nd, 13. Yeah. Yeah. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, just don't look at in isolation, but look at in, in, in depth. Okay. Now, when your first thing is that, be yoked only with a believer. Second thing is, be equally yoked with a believer. Hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Equally yoked with us. So many things in that. Okay, so many. <laughs> Not enough that you. Okay, let us say. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about issues that have happened in marriages which I've seen for years, counsel. All of us gone through it too, also personally. Let us say. Pastor Vijay, 
is CNI member. He marries Jason, Assemblies of God. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues. He doesn't believe in tongues at all. Are they both believers? Yes. Are they equally yoked? No. Mm-hmm. no. They're not equally yoked. He will despise her tongues. I forbid speaking of tongues in my house. <laughs> See, these things matter to people for whom God comes first. Let's be honest about it. For most Christians, God doesn't come first. God is just life insurance policy. When I die, I want to be go to the right place. But we are not, salvation is not that. Salvation is a very serious business. And every decision after salvation affects. Affects. And if you are blessed to be saved before you got married, then every decision makes a difference. So when this child is talking about, first look at the proposal your father and mother brought. Honor them. Look at it. And then say, Dad, you know what? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. You know what? I am saved. And I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And you say he's saved. But when I look at it, when I talk to him, we had recent cases like that. Parents brought proposal for a girl. One of the girls who's in our church. Proposal for the girl. He's good. He's got a good job. Makes a fat paycheck. Everything. And then when you question the boy, he hasn't gone to church for five years. And the girl doesn't miss a service. Now, we are not blaming the parents. You see, the average mindset of any father when he's looking for a proposal for his girl is security. Mm. He wants his child to be secure. And how does a father look at security if he's not spiritual? He says, you know, financial security. He's got a good job too. He comes from a good family. Social security. Okay. But there is financial security, there's social security, but the top is spiritual security. But because they do not know what it is, and there are lots of children today who come from mainline traditional families who have experienced God at a different level. And this is their struggles. There what do you do? You honor your father and mother and pray and tell them no. I cannot marry this boy. I cannot marry this boy. And now, when you choose a boy, <laughs> be careful you don't pick some dumbo from the street and bring and say, this is the man I like and allow. And father says, what's, what's wrong with you? You mm. said you are a believer spiritually. He's not on none of this. Mm. Exactly. Okay. Mm. And these things, that's why you have to listen to your parents. On the other hand, you bring a boy, he's saved, baptized, Filled with the Holy Spirit. And the father looks at it. I all like all that yet, but I'm not comfortable. The reason maybe is that. I'll tell you why the reason maybe it is. You see, when Pastor Vijay was preaching and we have taught this, that let no one who's a novice in the church mm. be put in the place of eldership. Mm. A person could be saved and a person could be baptized in the Holy Spirit and be completely immature mm. and not be fit for your daughter. So many. <laughs> okay. Because you're going to make a life-changing life decision. decision. Yes, it is yes. not like a job where you can change your job. Mm. This is a life-changing decision. So you, the girl may be all, oh, he's so nice. Look at him. He believes. He's gung-ho. His worship is great. He's so hungry. The father looks, how long has he been saved? Six months. He has not been tested. He's 
not been tested. It's not been wait. Mm. It's not been tested unless, of course, everything is overruled. If we hear from God, absolutely, yeah. Mm. See, that's the main thing. Mm. First thing is that you go before God. And, and you hear from God, yes, this is the boy that for you. God, God has brought a boy, but that's my will. That is from me. Okay, overruled. All your dislikes are overruled. You are, but if that is not, then you go by the principles set in the word. Everybody doesn't hear so clearly from God. But still we have the word, we have the spirit's guidance. The principles that is set over in the word, you go by it. Because at a time when the divorce rate is equal or more in the church than that is in the world. Mm. At a time when churches are sanctioning gay marriages and lesbian marriages and transgender marriages, you need to be even more careful about these things. Okay? Because that is why we have to be careful. So to this child, I would say that, no, you don't marry anybody. You don't marry anybody. And I understand where this child is coming from because she asks, uh, if you go back to her question, the last part of her question. So when you are old, they can marry off to whoever they think is right? No, uh, they cannot. They cannot because it's your decision. They are marrying you off, but you are the one who is getting married. You are the one who is going to live with guy. So listen to them, hear them out, and make your objections. Indians and every man in the world is not this perfect man. Okay, I mean it is it is there. Like the parents are Indians, and uh, I'll tell you, I will tell you why. I'll t- explain it to why. I know from my own personal experience. I have my wife and my five children. Um, that is uh, seven of us. In the seven of us, I am the only Indian. The rest think, eat, live, Western. So I have to always reroute myself. Reroute myself. Okay. I cannot think, I cannot think my thoughts for the children. They don't think the way I think. They don't live the way I think. They don't eat the stuff I eat. They don't dress the way I dress. So we have to find a, I don't know, when they make their choices, the only choices is that doesn't fit in with. Because this is you know, uh, what I, I had my wife discuss. So I tell, I tell my wife is this, is this. When my children marry, my five children marry, and they five marry and settle down, I'm almost sure they will all end up marrying non Indians, Indians mm. non Malus. Mm. I said, for me, my line ends with me. It's over. I am the last surviving member of my culture, my heritage. It ends with me. It will not follow from me. So you need to look from where the father is speaking from. That's why the Hebrews were so strictly told, do not intermarry, as your line will end with you. Now I'm not saying it matters now in the new covenant. <laughs> but if the other person, that's why you know, even this morning I was on a call from U.S., counseling somebody who is going through an interracial marriage. And marriage is it's not happened yet. Things are popping up. So in the middle of the, before I came here, 30 minutes I was on the phone on a call from U.S. trying to help them through to understand how these things happen. Okay? So you need to, that's what I said. The purpose is big, then everything can be overruled. 
So I always tell, don't look at me and my wife. For us, the thing is that our purpose overrules. If the purpose hadn't been there, bigger than life itself, our marriage would have been a mess. We are chalk and cheese. Imagine living in a home, three meals a day where we eat different. Almost, we think different, we eat different, and yet marriage people have to change. But you know how we overcame all of it? Because there is a purpose bigger than. That's why you always say, the marriage is a kingdom marriage. It's a kingdom marriage. So if the purpose is not bigger than, then you have to look at the other nitty-gritties. Okay? Uh, let us let us put over here. Pastor Vijay is going to get married. Okay, he's not married, but he's <laughs> going to get married. Okay, he's married. Okay, let us. He's from Hyderabad, Vizag, Andhra. He meets this girl. Let us say he meets this girl from Haryana. Okay. She's a believer. He's a believer. The culture is completely different. Mm. See. Marry in haste, repent in leisure. At the end of the day, there are so many nitty-gritties that happen. Okay. He used, he used to a completely different culture. He gets married in haste. Karyanvi girls, huh, roti bana? Roti, he wants rice and papu. <laughs> she doesn't know what sambar is, she doesn't like sambar. The simple thing is that <laughs> people think these are all you you have to sit with counseling cases and then only you will understand. Now in the modern era, these things don't matter because they neither want papu nor they want sambar, they want pizza and burger. Mm. So and they don't cook, they want to eat from outside. So this new generation can marry anything. I'm not saying anybody, anything. <laughs> these things don't matter to them. But to those who matter matter, you have to think long term. Think, okay. That's why kingdom purpose is important. Kingdom purpose is important. If kingdom purpose is not there, you're not very sure about it. I would say checklist two, three, four. Okay. Let us say he speaks Telugu. She speaks Haryanvi. What will your child speak? Neither. Which one? Neither. Like I told you, for this purpose man shall live Father and mother cleave to his wife and they shall become one. one. Which one? Mm. So you know, if you look at it, case studies have looked, almost all those children born of the marriages speak English. They neither speak Telugu nor Haryanvi, they mm. speak English. They don't know the father's tongue or the mother's tongue. They have a foreign tongue. <laughs> the colonial hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Are you understand? <laughs> I'm saying I don't see issues in this if you can handle the pressure. Mm-hmm. So there are two things which will handle the pressure. Two things that will handle the pressure. One is purpose. The purpose of God will allow you to handle the pressure. Second is love. A love that never love covers a multitude of things. Absolutely. Yeah. It covers a multitude of things. I would say you need to have one of these two or both. Mm. If you have both, then you can overcome everything else. Everything else you'll be able to go through. Otherwise, okay, otherwise, but to all the young people who are getting married, 
if you have believing parents or even unbelieving parents even unbelieving parents are very shrewd mm. very very shrewd no you see what isaac and uh, isaac and rebecca did not see laban saw through jacob in one look i this this fellow can be used the father and the mother never saw jacob understood jacob this fellow said you know what i can make you slave labor flip the girl on the wedding night he saw through him it takes one crook to see another crook <laughs> Don't, and Laban is not the believing parent. The believing parent is Isaac. The believing mother is Rebecca. Laban sees through. So don't even ever despise the counsel of your unbelieving parents. Believing child with unbelieving parents. Parents say, okay, marry whoever you want, fine. And you bring this believing boy or girl and he sits over there, he talks this thing and this thing. And after he's gone, the unbelieving mother or the father says, don't marry him. Why? He's a crook. What? He's a crook. Because it takes a crook to identify another crook. He's <laughs> a crook. Hmm. How do I know? I've dealt with many crooks in my life. He's one of them. He may be saved. I don't understand your salvation, your baptism and all. But I'm telling you, that guy is not kosher. And you will see, almost always they are right. They are right. Because God gives parents a discernment which the children do not have. I'm not saying that they always make the right decision. But I am saying, listen to them. I am not saying, obey them. Listen to them and ask them, why do you say either why I should marry this man or why I shouldn't marry the man I like? Listen to them and see if their arguments make any sense. Okay, But ultimately, you obey God. Ultimately, you obey God. Ultimately, you obey God. Okay, God is the one who picks. He made you. He knows who he has for you. And ultimately you will say, Daddy, this is the man I believe God is leading me to marry. I want your blessings. So would you, Mom, and you just fast and pray for me? Would you just seek the face of God? And I truly, truly believe he will speak to you. Speak to you. That's, that is if you are absolutely sure this is the person from God. Not you are asking from God. But this is the person from God for you. These are two different tangents. You are asking from God, Lord, please give me this man. No, that's one thing. <laughs> Another thing, Lord, I think this is the man from you or girl, from you for me. Would you pray about it? Okay, that's how I believe you should handle it. Pastor, did we handle it? Two questions today. Huh? Yes, Pastor. Yeah, but these are life changing questions. Pastor, <laughs> another question I think which is also very sensitive mm-hmm. is question number three. <clears throat> three. Uh, it's, two, it's a two-part uh, slide, okay, Sami? Many in the body of Christ do not understand that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different entities. Yes. In regards to forgiveness, God's love urges the offended to forgive and release the offender, regardless of whether the offender is repentant or not. Mm. Whereas any glimpse of reconciliation is feasible only when the offender is repentant in the true sense. Yeah. Hence, the offender carries the accountability of reconciliation. Mm. Even if the cultural churches, even if the cultural churches support the separation from a toxic relationship, they always keep the burden on the offender to keep praying until the last breath for the transformation or reconciliation of the offender. So much so, the offended are forbidden to journey ahead. 
please share your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I understand. This is basically coming in terms of a divorced cases. We are talking about relationships over here. And uh, what the person says is absolutely true. In any case, any case of a relationship, let me put it across in the terms of scripture. We saw in the morning the story of the prodigal son. Okay. When the son did everything he did and went, the father has already forgiven him. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't forgiven him, he will not receive him back. Yeah. But even though he has forgiven him, reconciliation is not possible until that son repents and comes to his senses and Amen. comes back on the conditions of reconciliation. Yep, yep. You cannot have reconciliation. Let us say a husband and a wife. We are not blaming anybody, but let us say in this case, let us say the husband is violent. He's alcoholic or he's abusive. He's violent. He beats up his wife. He beats up his children. And now separation has taken place and uh, the church starts putting pressure. Reconcile, reconcile what God has put together. No man should put asunder. They use all these things. They understand where they come from. But the question is, ask the, and you tell the, okay, you've been beaten up, but for your own sake, forgive. You have to forgive because uh, you cannot hold it. That's a commandment. Okay, mm. You forgive. Whether he repents or not, you forgive. And then they start putting pressure on that person. Okay? Pressure on that person. Wait and pray, wait and pray, wait and pray, wait and pray. While the other person is not changing at all. Mm. We actually become worse. Become worse. Okay. So these are questions which churches really, really have to handle. Okay? Handle. Um, If you go to the question in how Paul handles this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Mm. Okay. 1 Corinthians 7. Okay. Verse 10 and 11. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from a husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So, a scenario is put over there. If she does depart. Mm. Now, don't take it and run with it. Mm. Now we have to look into it to see what are the causes of departing. Causes can be many silly, stupid things, all kind of things, arguments, fighting, this thing and all. But we are not talking about that in this case. We are talking about real life-threatening causes. Toxic situation, life-threatening situations. Okay, literally life-threatening situations. Okay, where I would put across where the man or the woman is practically an unbeliever. Because faith without legs is dead faith. Hmm. Okay, a man who says he is saved, but he beats up his wives, beats up his children regularly, what is he saved from? How does that woman live in that house, in that kind of a relation? What is he saved from? Okay. What is he saved from? Okay. Or put across in different scenarios, it could be the woman. What is she saved from? And there the Bible says, now come further. Okay. You have to look at the principle. Okay. Verse 15. Uh, let us, uh, verse 12. Go to verse 12. 
verse 12 onwards. Okay. <laughs> but to the rest, I not, the Lord says, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Okay, so now we are looking at another case where you look at it says, this man or woman are practically unbelievers. They don't go to church. They don't believe in anything in the church. Because if they believe in God and listen to the church, almost every marriage can be put together. Every marriage can be, you know, whenever counseling <laughs> takes place over there, the first thing you look at and say is, you look, okay. <laughs> you know immediately who will listen and who will not listen. Yes, and yes. if they will not listen, there's nothing you can, you can do. do about it, yes. Cannot do. You cannot glue them together. They have to be willing to listen to the word of God and to the counsel of God. So let us say in this case, a man is unbelieving or the woman is willing. Everybody who's got a Christian tag is not a believer. A believer who believes in God and is willing to submit to the counsel of God through his servant. Say, you do this and it will work out. Take your time, take your time out, but do this. But if they are not willing to do that, for all practical cases, he's an unbeliever. In this case, they are willing to stay. In the case, the woman is willing to stay. Says, you don't have to divorce. Let her not divorce him. Go further. Verse 14. Verse 14. Okay. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified. But these are those two groups who are willing to stay. Mm. The other person is sanctified. And your children are holy. Come to verse 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Sounds very cool, right? But that's how God, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not, not under, under bondage, bondage in, in such cases. cases. You're not under bondage. And I will not allow a church to put such a brother or a sister into bondage. <coughs> okay? Into bondage. The man says, no, I have not agreed to anything, you say. I'm not. It's my way or no highway. I'm leaving. Bye. Goodbye. I'm leaving. Go. And he never even turns back. He loses his own life. He has not changed. He doesn't come to church. He goes his own way. Okay? And the poor girl is hanging around with the kids or the other way, whichever way you want to look at it. What do you tell? No, you wait, you wait. No, the Bible says, how long? Hmm. How long? If there is hope, it is one thing. Hmm. But where there is no hope, you look at it and say, there is no hope in this case. What does the Bible say? You are not in bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. Okay. On the other hand, if he is willing to stay, 16. How do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know your husband, whether you will save your wife? Hmm. It can be put across both ways. One, he doesn't want to leave. Let him stay. You know, who knows? He may get saved. Hmm. He may get saved. Okay. Or the other way, he's left. How long will you wait? How do you know he will get saved? How do you know he will get saved? You're hoping, hoping, you're daydreaming. This dude is never going to get saved. <laughs> mm-hmm. This dude is never going to come back. You should move on with your life. You should move on with your life. So we have to look at it. Yet, we do not bring it down to any level. We have to be very serious about it because marriage is a very serious thing. As far as possible, we should try for reconciliation, even if it's an unbelieving spouse with a believing, try for reconciliation, not for their sake, for the children's sake, for the sake of the children. Because divorce is daring, that is one into two. And nobody comes out of it unhurt. Even if the one guy says, I am not hurt at all, which is not true. The, The consequences follow because what God or what was one has become two. 
So the scars will be always there. So as far as possible, you should try for reconciliation. But where reconciliation is not possible, one, first step, God allows this what? Separation. That is verse. So the first verse we said, right? Verse 10. Okay? First step is separation. Okay? But if she does not let, okay? Uh, but if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or reconciled to her husband. Okay? Okay. Let her remain unmarried. Meaning, don't immediately divorce and go get married to somebody else. Wait. Don't jump into it. Wait. See if it is possible reconciliation. Okay. And then, second case is that the person departs and is not coming back. Then you are not in bondage. So we have to, there is no one rule for it. Every case is different. And you have to go through prayerfully looking at each case and then only make your decisions. But the Bible is very clear. There is a divorce and there is remarriage. Hmm. And God allows it. Okay, God allows it. Okay, but he says it's because either one or both parties, the hardness of their hearts. It's a hardness, okay? Both, it can be one party or both parties, hardness of a heart. And even if it is one party's heart is hard, it will only end up in divorce. It will not end up in reconciliation. It's not possible. No? It is not possible, okay? God was waiting all day long with his arms outstretched for Israel. Hmm. But Israel's heart is hardened. Yes. So God divorced Israel. Yes. Yes. Gave a bill of divorce and sent. Your heart is hardened. Pastor, Pastor, it also says that except in the case of infidelity or adultery, right? So how do you handle that? I mean, if it's adultery, then it's broken, right? Not necessarily. There is forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, even in case of an I've seen adulterous marriages being reconciled. Hmm. It's, it's the great bigness of your heart. You are willing to forgive and forgive. And God, when He restores, He can restore the marriage even better. You, you do not ever negate the power of God of reconciliation. Okay, yes, it is there. Okay, it is there. Okay, and I will tell you how it happens. Now, he, because Pastor Vijay brought it. When adultery takes place, okay, there are two people involved. Okay, let us say the man commits adultery or the woman commits adultery. It is not the same. Reconciliation is far easier and possible where the man commits adultery. It's more difficult where the woman commits adultery. Hmm. Maybe we'll say, why is it so? Okay. Because when a woman commits adultery, she puts her whole being into it. Oh. Yeah, because for her it is not different. For her it is not an affair. Yeah. It's not a fling. It's not a fling. Hmm. It is a relationship. Hmm. It's a relationship. So when the woman commits adultery, the man knows she didn't switch partners. She gave her heart to somebody else. Reconciliation is different. Reconciliation is possible. The man can have a very big heart and God can restore, heal, break. All those things can happen. But when a man commits adultery, it is easier reconciliation because the woman is able to receive him back better than the man who receives the woman back. Because in many cases, 
he doesn't give his heart over there. Mm-hmm. See, let us be very practical. Half the men don't give their hearts in their marriage itself. <laughs> their heart is usually in their workplace. Okay. So, it may be passion for a season and it dies, but the wife realizes, you know what, he isn't given his heart there. And she's able to, willing to forgive and receive him back. But usually it doesn't work that way with a woman. With a woman. It doesn't work that way with a woman. So, when he's talking about that, but all things are possible with God. All things are possible with him or her who So believes. even in the context of Israel, God knew that he had given, Israel had given the heart to the idols. Idols, they gave And the therefore heart. he was not, he knew he, that it was, there was the no. The heart is given to that. They're mm, not going to come back. And you know. see, the thing is that when you give a heart to some, something, your entire life changes. Changes, exactly. And Israel changed. They became like the pagan nations. Mm. When you give your heart to something, your entire life changes. Because uh, the, the, actually the image is uh, very perfect. A married uh, lady uh, was telling me, uh, separated now, they said, my husband has changed completely. He's not the man I married. He's completely different now. He dresses completely changed. Everything has changed. I didn't want to say anything. He's bought a bike. He dresses like a young man. I didn't want to say that. It's another girl. Shocks, man. It's another girl. girl no? What happens when you give your affections to something else? You change. You change according to that. Change according to that. Okay. He changed according to that. And Israel changed. Because she went after the other gods. And the other gods, she changed according to the other gods. And God says, you know what? I understand. Can go. You can go. Boy. And that is in that context, God speaks the same thing to the church. In James chapter, he says, you adulteress and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? And you cannot. And church, people in the church struggle with this. You cannot love the world and follow the patterns of the world and say, I am married to Christ. Married to Christ. You see, if you look at it, you know, hmm. book of Romans. Okay, Romans is a dynamic book. <laughs> seven, chapter okay. seven. Uh, where it talks about, yeah, chapter, uh, chapter, chapter seven. seven. Okay. Okay. You're talking about Mosaic law. Okay. <laughs> chapter seven, verse one. Now to the married I command, yet I not I, but the Lord. I don't know, it's a seven, seven. Seven, yeah. verse one, yeah. Yes, Pastor. What happens? Okay, yeah, verse one. Do you not know, brethren, I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has, who has a husband is bound by the law to husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Mm. Okay. Verse three. Yeah, verse three. So then, if while a husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, although she has married another man. That's why adultery is considered as death. Hmm. Exactly. Death of a marriage. Yes. Death of a marriage. Okay. That, that is the reason and why I brought it out yeah, also. Because consider that's death is, of a yes. marriage, but God can bring life mm. over there. Mm. Now, just because this came, okay? Mm. So you need to understand how do believers commit adultery? 
If you go back to the law, you're committing adultery. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Or to the world or to the law. You go to the world, you're committing mm-hmm. adultery. You go to the law, you're committing adultery. You cannot. You're married to Christ. So in baptism, what happened is you died to the law. The law will not die. Mm. You cannot die. The, mm. the world also will not die until mm. God kills it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the only way you can get married again is that the law won't die, the world won't die. You, you die. die. Yes, yes, yes. Baptism is the act by which you die to the law, you die to the world, and you rise up and Christ marries you. Mm. And after that, you go back there, or you go here, God says you're an adulteress. Mm, absolutely. Mm. You're an adulteress. True, 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 true. Mm. Okay. Thank God he doesn't divorce us straight away. <laughs> He's still wooing us, still wooing us like Jose did not the whole picture of Jose and Gomer. He's still wooing us. He says, come back, come back, come back. I will cleanse you. I know you went to the world. I know you went with that man. I know you went to the law. You went to the world. You went to the, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. And the teaching has to be there. We need to understand how God uses these illustrations of marriage. You know, and because this is a trap into which the church is caught into going back to the law. Or going into the world, and both are big ditches. But today it was about marriage and uh, judgment. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, that's why Paul says marriage is a mystery, because uh, why? It, that's why why we attach, we don't attach so much importance to a career, jobs, education, because all those are important, but not as God attaches. Let's end with that. Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, words 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. (laughs) That is why marriage is such an attacked institution. Such an attacked institution. It's because... The marriage on earth is a symbol of Christ's coming relationship with the church. Mm. And therefore, it is so important that we portray the picture, the true picture and the importance of marriage. Because like I say, the marriage is bigger than us. And to people which I keep telling people is that uh, there are a lot of unhappy Christian marriages, not unhappy Gentile marriages, because they divorce. I'm talking about believers. They won't divorce because of their convictions, but they're miserable in their marriages. And this morning also, I was talking to somebody else. Because I don't know how marriage came in all my calls today. Mm. I was telling them the same thing. Your marriage can be a failure, but you can be a success. Marriage, it takes two to tango. Mm. Your marriage can be a failure. But you don't have, don't have to be a fa- failure. You can still stand before God and God says, you are a successful husband or you're a successful wife. Though your marriage failed. Hallelujah. Ultimately, our judgment is by God. Mm-hmm. Okay? And as to how we, as how, individuals, how, how we, as how we as react in that matter. How do we, how do we, as a man, mm-hmm. he's called to do certain things. You may get no response back at all. Mm-hmm. Let us say, you do everything the word of God says and you do it, but the woman is not interested. Mm. But you still keep doing it. Why? Because you know that is what is expected of you. This is what God demands. So by faith you keep on. She may, she may change, she may not change. And if she doesn't change, marriage is still miserable. Mm. You're lonely in your marriage. You feel you're trapped in a marriage, but you don't quit. 
because it's your commitment with God. You don't quit. And at the end of the day, your marriage was a failure, but you were a success. Yes. Or a woman. Mm, absolutely. Man is a jerk. He's not interested at all, but you still do all the things which God demands from you. And in the process, you know what? The whoever is obedient to the demands of God's word to marriage, that person is changing. Yes. Becoming more and more and more Christ like, more patient, long suffering. He has you know, meekness, gentleness, all this is being worked out in that person. The other person may not be changing at all. May or may not change. Let's look at that. Once more. <laughs> First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, yes. Verses one to three. One to three. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. I want to tell that here. Husbands, likewise, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The church is a rebel. Christ still loves her. <laughs> that even if some do not obey the word, <laughs> they, without a word, may be won by the conduct. Okay? <laughs> Look at that. No, go, go. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Okay? But look at that uh, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, they, may, without, without a, word, a word, without a word, after that, what is the word? Maybe one. May. May. Maybe one. Not will. There's no guarantee. Hmm. There's no guarantee. You do all that, he may not get saved at all. He may not be interested at all. But, you get your reward. You are commended by God. This way, come back, the commendation of God. Commendation. That is what matters. Come further down. Further down? Okay. Yeah, come further down. Four. Come four, five. Yeah, come further down. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned. You see what? Ultimately what matters is who commends you. Even if your husband doesn't commend you your whole life, your wife doesn't commend your whole life, one day God will commend you. Hmm. And people will be stunned. Hmm. No, eternity will stand. Successful husband. <laughs> Arthur said, this man, all they heard from his house of the wife shouting and screaming, got a successful husband. Or another woman was beaten up and abused. I don't, I, I don't accept beating. I don't accept violence at all. I have a big, big no-no to physical violence. That should, should be absolutely no-no in a marriage. It's not acceptable. Okay, but other forms and all the women, even with physical violence, you know, people, women, they hang in there. They think about their home, they think about their children, you know. We think, think about the domestic abuse in India. Mm. And we think, oh, in Christian nations, you know, which is a nation where domestic abuse is the highest? US. In France. France, my God. We think Christian nations are, no, every house beatings are taking place. Even in Christian Western free societies. And that is a no-no. But when they come through it, just holding on, trusting God, you know what? They will be commended by God. I'm not prescribing go through all that and all. I would say separate, take counseling, don't get beaten up and battered. But what I'm saying is that through it all, your marriage can fail. You don't have to be a failure. Amen. You don't have to be a failure. You still can be a success. Even in marriage, you look at the eternal and not at the temporary. Because what is the vows everybody took? I'm not done. Peter and Sammy. Until death do us Until death do us. Marriage is only till death. But the rewards of marriage is in eternity. Hmm. The rewards of true successful marriage hmm. is not temporary. Hmm. It is in eternity. Hmm. 
So you run your race in your marriage too. You know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm going to hang in there. I will not quit. I will not be the one who leaves. I will not be the one. But don't be smart and create such an atmosphere where the other person is forced to leave. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm saying that you, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to hang in, trust God there. And the Bible says the unbelieving leaves. You are not under bondage. So let's look at it as whole. Okay, it's a huge subject. Hallelujah. We shall trust God. So this evening we shall pray and yes, close it. Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father, all these dear ones, Lord, young ones who are, who are under pressure to get married, those who are divorced, those who are separated, those who are struggling in their marriages. All kinds are there, Lord, everybody. And you are there. You are not against marriage. You are for marriage. Marriage is not man's idea. It is yours. So I pray, Lord, each one in their own situation will actually turn to you, cry out to you, and you are there to comfort, to strengthen, to help. I commit everyone into their hands. I pray especially for Pastor Cyrus, Lord, our pastor in Bhutan. He lost his father this evening. Family is grieving, Lord, but I thank you, Father. His father was saved. Mm. Lord, he knew the Lord. He got saved, baptized. Thank you, Father, for saving him. Oh, Lord, comfort that family, Lord. Comfort them. Comfort them, Lord. Two deaths back to back. He lost his brother-in-law. Now he lost his father. Comfort, strengthen, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We come in the rest of the night into the hands, and we pray, Lord, your presence be with each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.